confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Hello, I'm John Brown, Chairman of Beyond Net Zero, and this is Net Zero and Beyond. In this series, we look at how the world can get to net zero and the pioneers hoping to make it happen. Each episode looks at a different part of society and a different solution. Today, we're going to look at a topic which some might find surprising, how to decarbonize hydrocarbons. In other words, if there really is no alternative, how might we keep using fossil fuels without harming the planet? In 1997, as CEO of BP, I became the first leader in the oil and gas industry to acknowledge that fossil fuels were causing climate change. I believe we've come to an important moment in our consideration of the environment. It is a moment when, because of the shared interest I talked about, we need to go beyond analysis and to seek solutions and to take action. It is a moment for change and for rethinking uh, corporate responsibility. I wanted to convert oil and gas from being part of the problem to being part of the solution. More than 80% of the world's energy comes from coal, oil and gas. The share coming from renewable sources like wind and solar has grown at almost 15% every year over the past decade, so there's definitely progress. But they still account for barely 5% of global energy consumption. This is a transition. It is not an overnight change. So, what can we do about this? We can't ban fossil fuels, but how can we tame them for human use? Can we push the transition so as it goes as fast as possible. I'm joined today by Dev Sanyal, CEO of Varo Energy and a former long-standing colleague of mine who's been thinking about and operating at the center of the energy transition for many years. I saw uh, about 150,000 people marching in the streets of Glasgow. And I think if there was one common element in what I was hearing and what they were saying, it was stop using fossil fuels immediately. 
and all fossil fuels were put into one place at once. I wonder how realistic you think this is and what we can do to both satisfy people who see that carbon from hydrocarbons, man-made, human-made, is a cause of climate change, and what we can do to do something practical. What do you think we can do? Uh, the pathway is one of how do we deal with three critical challenges. I grew up in India where we had power outages for eight hours a day. So the reality, of course, is that if you want prosperity, uh, if you want you know, children to be able to read their homework, you need reliable energy. Intermittency still remains a challenge with some of the new forms of energy. The second area is actually around how do we create more affordability? There's no point in actually having an energy source that no one can afford. And the third sort of big challenge is one of how do we ensure that we actually have a growing mix of cleaner energy? So I think if we can solve the challenge of intermittency, storage solutions, for example, come to mind, uh, if we can solve the problem of cost, because ultimately you need a cost that is actually going to be competitive. I think that is happening. Look at solar today in the United States, in parts of Europe, no subsidies at all. Offshore wind, you've seen there's some very attractive options being developed in the United Kingdom, for example. And then finally, there is the issue of how do you kind of blend very different forms of energies to create a cleaner offer. And that is a story of partnership. So as we see the electrification of society, which is happening and will continue to happen, it's the use of hydrocarbons in the power sector that we really have to focus on here a lot. Uh, and how do we get rid of the carbon dioxide that is generated when they're burnt while we have to burn them? Uh, and it seems to me that that activity has had a lot of uh, a, a loss of credibility because 20 years ago, all of us at BP were mounting a project to do just this in Peterhead in Scotland. We were almost there, engineered, ready to go, but not quite capable of getting done because companies can't afford to lose money. They may make no money in the first instance, but they can't afford to lose money on a project of that scale. And we needed a bit of help, and that help didn't come. So everyone is looking at it and saying... Maybe, maybe not. Credibility low. So the industry has to move rapidly to be able to do something here to demonstrate that we can take carbon out of hydrocarbons, certainly in the power sector. I think you're right, John. And I think I, I really do believe there's a big difference from 20 years ago in one particular domain. But I think companies, I think, are now under a kind of pressure that was sort of not quite there 20 years ago. Listen, if there was an opportunity to kind of get 100% renewables in the power system, I'd be the one sort of cheerleading it. I mean, I was involved in building up Europe's largest solar company, the world's second largest bioenergy company. I would love it. But the reality, of course, is that the facts also have to be considered. And this is an energy transition for a reason. It's not like telephony. When I left India as a young student, there were 10 million phone lines in India, landlines. There are 20 million today, but 895 million mobile phones. That is a revolution. The energy system is a bit more complex, and therefore it will take a bit of time. But we should never be discouraged, because I think the sort of fundamentals are here, which is, you know, how do we kind of get more and more renewable penetration? It's going to happen 
at a faster rate than anything else you've seen in human history. It took coal, you know, a good 70 years to get to a market share of around 10%. It took oil 40 years, gas 50 years. We're going to get to a 10% market share probably in the next decade in renewables, if not soon. Let's just talk a bit about not all hydrocarbons aren't the same. There's coal, different types of coal, of course, lignite and black coal and metallurgical coal uh, all have different purposes, different carbon outputs. There's oil uh, and there's natural gas. So there's been a lot of discussion about coal. Can we shut down coal? This debate's been going on for a long time, proved to be more and more difficult. More companies, though, have targets which look at their supply chains, which look at the amount of carbon going into their energy, and maybe there's more movement in this. And there's a good indication that people will not be exporting coal plants, at least it appears so. And then there's natural gas. Uh, And natural gas used to have, and maybe it still does, have a, a reputation of being the cleanest hydrocarbon, but it has this very unfortunate problem really dangerous one, that if it's released raw into the atmosphere, it does hang around for 20 years at about 80 times more powerfully than carbon dioxide. So it really can very quickly cause a big problem. So what should we do about all that? Well, I think as far as coal is concerned, I think uh, the consensus is now very much building around the exports of coal. I think the financing community is also creating a very strong statement. I think we saw that last week in Glasgow. Uh, so I think the investability in some of the new growth is going to be, I think, more challenged. I think there's a general consensus that something needs to be done. And I think it is going to be very hard for some societies to make a rapid transition in that area. So I think that is one aspect to it. Financing, as I said, is another aspect to it. I think with gas, there has to be, and I think certainly the pronouncements last week give me a lot of encouragement around methane and the detection of it and also the control of it is going to be very, very important. So I think it's going to be important that the industry sort of continues to make progress in terms of methane and go better than the sort of absolute cap that has been sort of laid out. And uh, I think that is entirely possible. The sequence that you laid out is, is the right one, John. I mean, you know, coal is sort of at the sharpest end you then got to the oil and one has to look at sort of what kind of oil developments take place. I think there is a choice here. And then you've got gas, which again, doesn't get a sort of, it's not sequential. You've got to work on all these three things, you know, in concert with each other. Uh, and gas has to continue to show itself to be the most competitive fossil fuel from a carbon perspective, but not just a carbon perspective, also from a cost perspective. So Dev, uh, this is always the most difficult question. Put yourself in 20 years ahead. Uh, Let's suppose we're in 2040 going on 2050. What would you say the hydrocarbon use of the world will be? Well, I think there'll be a lot more energy consumed. That's for sure, because I think we're going to see prosperity in the next uh, 30 years. I mean, let's also just remember, John, that 70% of the planet live below the 1.5 degree budget. 70%. And by the way, the 1%, are living sort of in a world where their budget effectively is in excess of four degrees. Uh, and it's an important uh, distinction to make uh, in terms of sort of changing some of the demands, some of the behaviors 
what you're seeing. But just going back to sort of the question in terms of uh, the supply front rather than the demand, I, I personally will make a bet that renewables will be actually uh, in excess of 50%. Um, and I think you will see storage solutions at scale. I think they're already available. It's a question of scaling it up. I still believe there will be uh, a residual level of fossils. Uh, you know, I hope it's not the case. But I suspect there will be. But I think as I look forward in the next 30 years, I would make a bet that decarbonized gas and renewables will be the winners. The one question that we've not really talked about, John, which I think we need to probe on a bit in, in, in various of these kinds of meetings, is the role of nuclear. I was um, talking to some people in Japan recently, and it is interesting the tone has changed. I think the realities of what it takes to basically decarbonize that society. The realities of getting them off coal means that nuclear is going to become a part of that. I think there's been a, a sea change in people's attitude towards nuclear. The innovation of a small modular reactor, they're not that small, probably half or a third of the size of a big reactor, but nonetheless they're things that the cost of which could be more controlled because they will be built in factories, not a stick built on site. That has begun to make people feel that maybe there's more predictability and the safety is, of course, getting better and better every year. I think statistically it remains one of the safest industries in the world, but it is prone to catastrophe. Of course it is. So there is a big change, and I think that's a very important part of the, the base load of uh, electric power generation. What is happening in fusion is interesting. Fusion has been the purview of great uh, industrial nations spending vast amounts of money. I see a lot of startups in the fusion space, and I think that's very healthy. It's an indicator that something's afoot, something different's afoot, and who knows, someone may actually make a breakthrough. So I think, you, to my mind, the, the summary is Clear. There are a lot of things going on. The energy mix of the world is a very complex set of trade-offs between new sources, new uses, and we still have the conundrum of how do we generate enough electricity to electrify society in a way which makes sense for the climate and makes sense for human beings on the planet. Uh, and I think we've seen changes over the years and we're going to see more. It's great to see that coal has been recognized as an important part of the past, but not an important part of the future. So this is quite a, a big menu, I think, of change that's taking place, uh, and one which is exciting. Uh, and I think uh, we'll see more and more change as we go forward. Dev Sanyal, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, John. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.